So good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, thank you for joining us today. I am the moderator for this session. It's going to be you belong in the room, build confidence in your truth. So on our panel, just to make, I'll do a brief introduction as we're going into it. I am um, Dorian Newton. I work for Huntington Ingalls Industries. And um, that's a corporation set up with three major divisions. One works in shipbuilding, um, and we do a lot of DOD and um, Department, of, Department of Defense and Department of Energy contracts. So um, myself, I'm the um, program manager for apprenticeship school that we're building down at Savannah River site, which is one of the sites we support. And um, I was able to do that. And I'm, I was blessed to be able to do that. And I think I'll, that'll add to um, the, what we're talking about in the panel. So, I'll, Randy, if I'll, I'll start around with you if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Glad to see you. I'm Randy Johnson. I'm with Huntington Ingalls, Ingalls Division, Ingalls Shipbuilding Division. I'm the uh, director of, of research development. And pro I'm reading this card. <laughs> I know my title. I know my role. <laughs> I want to stay with the program, though. <laughs> I'm Randy Johnson, Director of Process Development and, and Research and Development and Process Technology. I'm also the, the uh, Chief Technology Engineer for the Division of Ingleship Building for Innovative Solutions. Good afternoon. My name is Sandia Christian. I am um, a 16-year a employee of Huntington Ingalls Industries. I work in the Ingalls Division. Uh, alongside my colleague here, Randy. I am the Director of Business Integration, and it's just good to be here with you, and we hope that um, something will inspire you today that is said. Thank you. Good afternoon. I'm Lauren Bruner. I am Director for Strategic Planning at the Mission Technologies Division's Nuclear and Environmental Services Group. Um, I've been with the company since August of 2016, and you heard Randy and Sandia talk about Ingalls. That's in Pascagoula, Mississippi, where we build conventional powered warships. And I'm in Mission Technologies, the non-shipbuilding division of Huntington Ingalls Industries. And I'll turn it over to Stephanie, who's at the third division. So Stephanie Simmons. I work at Newport News Shipbuilding, and we are celebrating our 137th year. We are the only company that can build nuclear-powered aircraft carriers and one of two companies that can build nuclear-powered submarines. I have a degree in engineering from Georgia Tech, go Jackets. <laughs> and um, I will tell you, I've been at Newport News Shipbuilding for 38 years. 38 years. Um, it's a company that will allow you to have a career there. It's not just a job. And I think I've been in just about every division except engineering and, and legal. So please go by and visit our booth. It's a company that cares about its employees. And again, you can have a career there. I'm going to start off by introducing this session. So uh, this session is You Belong in the Room. You can build confidence in your truth. It explores some of the messages received from your family, your friends, media, society that may cause some to question their knowledge, skills, and abilities. These messages can also lead to um, struggles with confidence and self-limiting thoughts. 
and roles and the role for the roles that they apply for. Historically, minorities and women have received messages that they are not capable of achieving the heights of success. They must work harder than others um, or their natural hair or choice or style of clothing is not deemed professional. In other words, you um, don't belong or they must fit in to succeed. The pressure to compete can cause some to internalize these messages and they may succumb to perfect. I don't think that should
Let's get talking. <laughs> so uh, first, I want to thank you guys for coming again to the workshop. I also want to thank um, our presenters for uh, Marcus Jackson and Emmanuel Onofeko. All right, all right. Uh, I want to make sure that um, I thank them. So we'll get into the workshop. But these are, these are the kind of um, this is the kind of discussion we want to have. So the discussion is you belong in the room. So we'll start into it. But I want to give a kind of a a uh, little prequel uh, to talk about what we're talking as far as um, belonging. So belonging means to be a member or a participant of a group, right? As though you feel as though you are a part of that organization, you're part of that group. So when you belong at the table, you feel like you're included. People in all walks of life have been affected by uh, persistent inability to believe that their success is legitimate and due to efforts or knowledge or skills, they, say, uh, do, um, they start to get what they call imposter syndrome. And that was coined by um, psychologists Pauline Rose Clance and Susan Himes, and, and it's the belief that one's academic ability or professional accomplishments are not due to their own capability, but they're due to something else, something that is outside of it, or the fact that they've gotten where they think they are is not because they deserve it, but rather because someone granted it to them or gifted it to them. So now those are the kind of discussions we want to have. Now, 70% of Americans have experienced these feelings known as imposter syndrome. Research shows that it has, there is a racialized component that's attached to, um, that is attached to it that can intensify the impact on folks with the, and, and can anticipi, intensify the impact on your mental health. Um, also, imposter phenomenon was first conceptualized in the experience of women in the workplace. So, in this seminar, we want to do three things. We want to identify and learn the skills to combat negative self-talk um, when it appears. We want to learn the skills to navigate societal norms and interpersonal barriers. And we want to understand what it means to be your authentic self. So, that's where we'll start. And I'll start with our panel. Any questions before we, get, before we move into it? All right, first question actually is going to go to you, Lauren. So I know each one of you here on the panel has done everything required to earn your seat, yourself a seat at the table. So despite, the, um, despite all your clearly demonstrated efforts, your knowledge, your skills, and your ability, um, have you ever felt when you sat at the table you didn't belong? That's a great question to start us off, Dorian. Um, I'm probably not alone in feeling that uh, maybe I didn't belong in a room that I was that I was sitting in or um, at the table uh, of a meeting that I was in. Um, my industry, the nuclear and environmental industry, is predominantly male, so it's a frequent occurrence for me to be the only woman in the room. Um, when I first joined the industry, I was shocked, um, but since I it's it's now been seven years since I've been in the industry, and um, actually just earlier this week, I was the only woman in a meeting, and um, didn't quite notice it as much as I once first did until after the meeting's over, and then I'm thinking, I was the only woman in that meeting. Interesting. Um, but I own who I am, and I'm proud and confident to be a woman in the industry. I'm also really proud to be part of a, a company and a larger corporation that values diversity, inclusion, and equity. And um, we truly believe that diverse teams are better, more productive teams because of the varying perspectives and solutions and ideas 
that diverse teams offer. Um, and and we, we walk the walk on that. So um, I own who I am, and I'm confident to be the only woman at the table sometimes. Thank you. Yeah. And Stephanie, actually, I'll, go, I'll move to you with a question now. So were you ever made to feel that there was a perception by some in the workplace or um, that your academic um, professional accomplishments weren't due to your own capability? Most definitely. I'll tell you, when I first joined the company, one thing that I did have in my stead was the fact that I graduated from Georgia Tech. When I came in the room, they didn't know my name, but yeah, and they didn't say it, but it was the, you're the girl um, that graduated from Georgia Tech. So at least I had my school credentials behind me. Um, so, you know, going to an accredited school that's recognized can help with those perceptions. But as I started rising in the ranks, I then heard the, oh, you're checking off the black block on the EEO requirement. Oh, you're checking off the woman block on the EEO requirement. And, oh, we're putting you in a senior position, so they're getting to check her off for the senior position block, you know, and then I would hear, oh, they, they switched her twice, so they got to count her five times this year. So, you know, with, with perceptions, you can start letting that record start playing in your head. I had a white male sponsor that took me to the side and he said, Stephanie, you've got to drown out that noise know your worth, know what you bring to the table. Look at the things you have accomplished. Look at the things you've accomplished. And he said, guess what? No matter what they say, strong performance that gets results ring out louder than anything that anybody is saying. And I'll share a real, I've got many stories but, you know, two I'll share with you. One of my first promotional opportunities, I actually had a coworker come into my office and say, my friend interviewed for that job, and he was much better qualified than you are. You just got that job because of you're a black woman. Fast forward two years later, I went back to that department and I was that man's boss's boss. <laughs> at, at the end of the, my first day there at work, after everybody had left, there was a knock on my door and it was him. And I said, well, come on in. And he said, Stephanie, can I have a minute of your time? And I was like, sure. And he stopped and started talking about three times. And finally I said, let me help you out. The last time we saw each other, you said some very unkind things to me. But no, we can start afresh. You don't have to like me. You don't, like, you don't have to like the fact that I have this position. But for me, all you need to do is do your work and do your work well. And we will be fine. anyone else on the panel have something they wanted to add to that question? I'll, ju I'll just say that, you know, Stephanie's right. 
you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's not about um, the skin color. It's not about uh, what you look like. It's about are you performing? And, and, and understand that performing is not enough. Let's be clear. Um, it's about your performance. It's about your image. It's about your exposure. And it's about your relationships with other people. And what does that spell? Peer. Hmm. Performance, image. Performance, image, exposure, and relationships. At the end of the day, that's what it's about. And obviously, Stephanie has made some wonderful relationships, and she has done the work. She has put the work in. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Randy and Lauren, I'll give you an opportunity if you had um, anything you wanted to add to that. And I'll come, Lauren, I'll come back to you because I skipped over a question I had for you originally. I had, um, and this is really, I'll give it to the entire panel as you look at it. So have you known someone that, the initial question was, have you experienced it? But now I want to know, have you known somebody that has experienced what, you know, or is experiencing imposter syndrome? So, or that when they are, their knowledge, their skills and abilities show that they should be here, but they just haven't gotten the opportunity to be there. Does that make sense? Okay. And I'll, and Lauren, I'll let you start, but if anyone has an answer, sure. we'll go to it. Well, unfortunately, it's currently uh, one of my close colleagues in another department, and uh, she works tirelessly and is a, a very valued partner to my team. And uh, she was passed over for a promotion. Um, she works harder than many of the others uh, on her team. And, uh, and it's, it's unjust and unfair. And we try to do what we can to improve the situation um, and raise, raise her, um, her profile to her boss and her boss's boss and talk her up because she's phenomenal. And uh, I don't know that it's falling on deaf ears, but we haven't seen any changes. So it's unfortunate, but we keep trying because we do value her. So I'll just, let's be, let's be honest with each other. I suffer from imposter syndrome every single day. But how do you rise above that? You have to, be a, you have, to have people around you who will tell you the truth. You have to have people around you that will encourage you. And the reason I can say that I suffer from imposter syndrome because I live in, in my head, I'm living in a world that says that I need to be perfect. I'm living in a world that says that I can't get it wrong the first time. I'm living in a world that says that, well, you may have done that okay, but then, when I think about it, and I think about the excellent things that I've done in my career, it doesn't matter if somebody else tells you you're good. You have to tell yourself that you are good. And you have to know that. And today my husband is here and, 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 and I, he knows what I go through before any presentation, any uh, motivational speaking engagement. He knows the ups and the downs 
but be clear and concise with yourself and accept what you're going through. That's why I can say here today, I go through imposter syndrome. I never think I'm good enough. I never think I do well. But yet, people come and say, oh, I just love what you were saying. But I'm saying to myself, no, you really don't. But that's what imposter syndrome is about. It's about never thinking that you're good enough at what you're doing. But always remember, you belong in the room in which you're in. And the room that you're in, your gift will make room for you. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. And when you find yourself suffering imposter syndrome and you're getting ready to have to give that big presentation, I'll tell you what one of my dance instructors tells me. Don't practice until you get it right. Practice until you can't get it wrong. When you practice until you can't get it wrong, you are ready to strut in there with confidence. I got this. You know, I, that thing that you can do without even thinking about it. I used to practice with my cat, and he would sit there like, I'm, I'm getting ready to give this presentation. You know, one, one of the, um, when I, one of the graduations I had an opportunity to go to, I heard uh, Admiral say that, um, that success is the marriage of opportunity and Preparation, preparation, right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't, you have to be prepared when the opportunity comes. Mm -hmm. But you, uh, but the opportunity has to um, come as well, mm -hmm. and that's how you actually get to that point. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what we're where we were talking about initially, where we're looking at. And I tell that to all. I have the apprenticeship school down at every graduation I have. I tell my apprentices that you can succeed. This is your opportunity, and you are prepared. Mm -hmm. And I I think we talked a lot in the um, as we prepared for this panel, and. Um, yeah, you know, I feel strong. I feel strongly about it. I know everyone on the panel does, but there is something unique um, within each and every one of you, and you are gifted. Just like um, Sandia said, you are gifted with something that makes you invaluable to the team that you are a part of. So you have to walk in there with that confidence and with that knowledge that because I am unique, I will walk in my authentic self. And I don't have to prove or be like anyone else because no one else can be a better me than me. Does that make sense? Well and said. So, Randy, I'm going to um, kind of tee up to a question. Uh, so, as researchers have said, and we've kind of talked about high achievers and um, doing a lot of practicing, researchers have said that imposter syndrome is more prevalent and high achievers. So uh, women and specifically marginalized and underrepresented racial and ethnic um, religious minorities. So have you seen that? Have you felt that in your own or have you experienced that in your own life? Thank you for the question, Doreen. I appreciate it. I have experienced that and I'll expound a little bit. Mm -hmm. I want to touch on something Sandia said about imposter syndrome. Bear in mind, we're part of HII Engleship Building. Follow me, HII, Engle Shipbuilding, in Pascagoula, Mississippi. <laughs> you follow me? Pascagoula, Mississippi. And if you don't think imposter syndrome exists in Pascagoula, Mississippi, then you need to come to Pascagoula, Mississippi. <laughs> I, my career is a 35-year career that was 
two business segments. One was with Southern Company, which was in Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> and then I moved to Pascagoula, Mississippi. <laughs> so we got a double dose of it. To take it further, my wife, which there are some people in the audience that are part of HII Ingalls, and I want credit for this, y'all. <laughs> for my, my wife is a chief electrical engineer at Ingalls Shipbuilding. I hear about imposter syndrome <laughs> every night, <laughs> and I embrace it, and I encourage her, and I give her some of my experiences to have gotten to the place where I am, and I want her to continue to go to places where she's going to go. I encourage you all to be your authentic self. But when you walk in that room, you need to know that you know more about what you're going to be presenting if you present than anybody in that room. Now, you may be snared and, and, and people may doubt you and they may ask you questions that if an executive asked me a question once and it, I'm saying that doesn't make sense. The question didn't even make sense. I didn't say that to the executive, mm -hmm. but I, I, I rephrased the question. Do you mean so and so and such and such? The executive said, yeah, that's what I meant. He's an imposter. That's what I meant. That's not what he meant. He didn't know what he was talking about. But I wasn't rude, and I didn't present that way to him. I just rephrased the question and realigned the expectation. Sometimes that's what you have to do. But always know that you are likely the most knowledgeable person on that subject matter in that room. And don't feel ashamed to expose that. Present that that way and project it. Randy, uh, next question is still for you. So do you see, um, and then we'll open it up to the panel, so, but do you see a correlation between um, individuals who are experiencing the imposter syndrome and folks from unrepresented, um, unrepresent, underrepresented groups, uh, minorities, women, uh, folks who are marginalized effectively? Thanks for the question, Dr. Mm -hmm. Newton. Mm -hmm. um, I do, and, and I'll share a couple of experience of my own. Um, recent experiences and experiences early in my career. My career spans 35 years. I didn't say that before because I wanted to get to this question. Over a 35 year career, there are numerous experiences where I saw people, not, not only myself, but other people being marginalized and, and disrespected. And there was nothing that I could necessarily do about it. Had I known the subject matter, I would have helped, but I didn't in some cases. But I encourage those people to continue their way, continue their purpose, continue their work. And don't feel like you didn't get where you wanted to be based on how you were treated in that room. My, my organization has a, a, a plethora of different ethnic groups. Uh, black, yellow, I hadn't seen any green people yet. Black, yellow, uh, brown, what have you, and non non people of color, and, and I embrace them all. But you can see the dynamics between those people when the, the uh, there's an um, American Indian lady in the group. She, she's a manager in the group. When she speaks, you can see the, the emotion change. You can see the body language change. Mm -hmm. But I try and encourage the group. I'll reiterate what she says and make it the goal for the group. 
That's sometimes what you have to make yourself a sacrifice for. You have to do that. I, 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 I want to try and keep this uh, objective because there are a number of people from HII in the room. But my, my prior president, I got to be friends with my prior president because I pulled him out of a jam in the room. I was in the room just to listen, but I wasn't in the room to speak. And as, as the meeting went on, he started talking about some things that he wasn't necessarily versed on. And he used some terms that were f familiar to the subject, but they didn't correlate. He didn't present them quite right. Well, it was a subject matter that I was well versed on. And so I took his terms with the Navy. It was PEL ships, two-star admirals in the room. I took his terms and I put them in perspective and it made sense to that admiral who was a master's degree in electrical engineer. It made, it made sense at that point. And I could see him leaning back in his chair. He just started smiling. Nobody knew but me and him why he was smiling. But after the meeting, he said, I want you in the room. Every time he comes, I want you in the room. You have to be prepared to be in the room. You can't just want to be in the room. You have to be totally prepared to be in the room. Now, just because you're in the room, that doesn't mean you get to speak. But when you're called on, you have to be prepared to answer whatever's called on, that's called on you to answer. But understand that getting in the room doesn't happen automatically because you join the company. You have to prove yourself. You have to show your worth, show your value. And that's sometimes it takes time. And I'm sure you all are a group of bright people. The people that are younger in the organization, those people that hadn't joined an organization yet. But you have to earn your way into the room. Mm. But there's going to always be imposter syndrome. But you have to overcome that by having the confidence that you know your business, you have to know your organization, you have to know your operation, and you have to know your role. But at the same time, you need to know your boundaries. There are boundaries. You have to know your environment. We talk about what you dress, how you dress, how you come to the room. You have to know who you're talking to, but you most certainly have to know what you're talking about. Thank you. Randy, give me one second. I want to I want to interject something because I heard you say, um, and I'll turn it turn it back over shortly. But I'm I heard you say something about because I'm a big person, but I like uh, P's. I talk about like three P's when I talk to some. So I said you. I heard you say you have to um, prove that you deserve to be in the room. And you had to be prepared to be in the room. Well, I want to share a short story with you, personal, that actually shows that sometimes you have to be patient to to um, mm -hmm. earn your place, get that place in the room. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So um, I was um, able to go out to um, for Mission Technologies. I went out to um, Los Alamos, and I had to. I was commissioned to build a. Um, apprenticeship school out there. We had one paragraph in the um, proposal. We said, we're going to figure out how to do it. So we went out there and I figured out how to do it and um, it gained a lot of traction. Matter of fact, 2020, I was here and got the Educational Leadership Award f just for that work that was done out there. And um, we decided to, my wife and I, we transitioned back to um, South Carolina and uh, at the Savannah River site. And I was coming after all of that great, uh, all of those great accolades. They talked about the program in Wall Street Journal. 
But then when I came into the group, I was a threat. Now, and um, they, I have my doctorate, but you didn't want to use my doctorate ti doctoral title, right? I um, probably was proven to be the subject matter expert in this just by all the accolades, but you really didn't want to give me the program. Um, and all these things, and it took a couple of years for that to go. But I say I um, ultimately, and I've said, there was something that resonated within me. I'm, I'm a believer, so I, I have um, Proverbs 18 and 16 as a scripture that re re resonates with me. It says, and it's kind of what we've talked about in the sense where it says, a man's gift or woman's gift will make room for, will make, um, room for them, and it will bring them before great men. Well, I share this with you to say, because just two weeks ago, that gift and everything I made room for me to head up that program, and ultimately I got to talk to the top two people in the Department of Energy who gave me the accolades for doing this across the country. So sometimes, even though you may not get the recognition initially, you have to think about it. It may be that you have to just persevere and have that patience because ultimately your gift, when you pass through it, will be able to elevate you to that point and nobody, no matter how, no matter how, um, how fearful or threatened they are by your ability and your achievements can be able to um, take you to that point, can take you beyond that. I want to piggyback on a gem in relationship to what Randy said about helping his boss at that meeting. Jim that has worked for me in my personal life and in my business life. When you find yourself in those situations, you need to say, does this need to be said? Yeah. Then you need to say, does this need to be said by me? And lastly, does it need to be said by me now? <laughs> it would not have been good for that meeting to have ended and to have the customer walk out of that room without that level of confidence in us. But he had the intelligence to know that you don't embarrass the boss. And that asking himself those questions, he made the right decision and look how he increased his network. So personal life and professional life, those three questions, it'll save him. Well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Christian, I'm going to I will, I will um, go with um, overcoming imposter syndrome. We're going to take a little shift because we've talked about a lot of um, the next question will shift where we've talked about a lot of um, imposter syndrome about what the person is internalizing, how they feel about the, that kind of that record that's going on in their head. But sometimes imposter syndrome, it can result from um, sometimes um, kind of systemic issues that are within the organization itself. That the fact that you feel like you don't belong in the room may be because there's something in place that makes you, that encourages that. So how, what responsibility do we as leaders and employers have to break down those barriers and get rid of that systemic type, those systemic programs which may be pushing people out of the room? Great question, uh, Dorian. And it, it really starts at the top. It starts at the top of the organization and kind of needs to filter down where you're, you're valued in whatever you, you have to say. But, but here's the thing, you have to be, it has to be a company that has the culture that says we're open. 
and we're open to the point where we understand that you're going to make mistakes, where failures are going to exist. And, and, and I say that that has to start at the top because it has to be that executive uh, table that says, you know, we know that everyone's going to make mistakes. But and on top of that, it, it's also making people feel safe. That when I, when I speak to you, when I, when I talk to you, what I'm saying is important. What I'm saying to you is it may, it may even be wrong, but you at least give me the respect to listen to what I'm saying. And if there's a correction later, that's fine. But how do I know that I, I'm wrong if I never get the opportunity to say it? And, and so, and, and, and part of this imposter syndrome is that we need to understand that we have already prepared ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so when you prepare yourself for something, you are already, it's already in your head, you just have to say it. Now a lot of times, you know, the, both Stephanie and Randy have talked about being in the room. And you have to know when to say it, right? Mm -hmm. But when the opportunity comes, just spit it out. Because you are in the room for a reason. That's right. So for, for, for the company itself, executives have to know that they have to open this aperture up of, of culture that says, hey, we're open to what you have to say. You know, a lot of times our president will say, let's just throw it on the wall and see what sticks. And what that does is it opens up the conversation for the person who is voiceless in, in the room, who's feeling like, I, I'm just here. No, you're here for a reason. So let's just throw it up on the wall and see what sticks. Now, don't say nothing crazy. <laughs> but something relevant to the conversation. So, so that's, you know, it's up on us as leaders to, to make folks comfortable, to make individuals comfortable, to be able to say and speak in their truth and be authentic and, and not be imposters when they're in the, the room. Okay. That makes sense. That does. Stephanie, do, um, how, how, what kind of advice do you give to those folks that you mentor on um, how to be their authentic self and how to stay the same um, from their early career on to now? Okay, I'll start talking about what I used to do. In the 90s era, I used to tell people, you need to help them see you in that role. I used to tell people, you need to conform. You need to look at the dress of the senior leaders. And I, when I was doing my presentation, I said, there's my view. Would I stop on you and say, hmm, I can see her at the executive table? No. And I would say, look at how they're dressing. I would say, you know they play golf. And most, a lot of decisions are made out on the golf course. So even if you don't like golf, maybe you need to at least learn how to hit the ball a little bit to get invited. <laughs> um, you know, or do they play tennis? You need to learn how to play tennis. What organizations are they a part of? 
Propeller Club, back in the day, if you wanted to be in leadership, you needed to be a member of the Propeller Club. And that's where you got the opportunity to rub elbows. And as far as dress and hair, you never get an opportunity to make another first impression. And I would tell them then, don't have them so busy looking at what you have on mm. or your hair that that noise is so loud in their head and their biases have already put you in a box to where the words coming out of your mouth, they don't even hear you. Today, I say something different. I don't say you come maybe with your true authentic self, how you would show up at the party. You know, I've had folks that I've had to pull to the side and say, young lady, you should not, and, and I couch this, but at the end of the day, it's you should not be able to go straight from work to the club. You know, I've seen people with cold shoulders out. And, you know, how are people gonna be paying attention to your message when they're looking at your shoulders? Um, so, so no, dress business appropriate. And, you know, Sunday I heard you say earlier in an earlier session, you know, listen to that voice in your head when you look in the mirror and, and, and understand the event. Would you wear white to somebody else's wedding? <laughs> Cause the the bride wears white. <laughs> I actually had someone come to my wedding in white. That's a good one. Okay, so, but fast forward. <laughs> so dress appropriate to the occasion, but add your flair. I've noticed the young men with some powerful socks on at this conference. So the style, we used to call it hot waters. Now it's like, I got these red socks that these people need to see. So my, you know, my, my it needs to be up so you can see my socks and these some bad shoes. I want you to see my shoes too. So add your flavor, but still you can fit in the room. Um, that's dress. As far as bringing your authentic self, I also talk about bringing your personality. Mm. Being open and vulnerable with, with people and helping them see who you are, what your values are. And when you've been open with them, they then start being open with you. There are two women. Um, one was a senior engineer, the other was a lawyer at our company. And I so admired both of these women from afar. And I started interacting with them and sharing more about me, which made them share more about themselves. And we created a network. And with that network, I felt very comfortable calling the lawyer about things that I was dealing with. And I didn't have to have a special meeting. That was just a telephone call for me. And I could call her at home, too, if I needed to. So that, that's how the advice I give people has changed from earlier years to now. I'll give um, one thing out. 
uh, another quick story I'll pop in with and then I'll mm -hmm. go ahead and we'll have our final question before we open it up to the floor. But I, when I, I have a military background, stood watch a lot, did a lot of stuff in the, um, um, when I was at the shipyard, uh, standing watch as well. And one gentleman told me, he's talked about, he talked about bearing. And um, I'd always heard from my military background, I always had it in my mind, uh, bearing had to do with, you know, it's kind of, you know, how you appear, how you stand, you know, that stare, whatever like that. That's your military bearing. But then he took it, and we're all shipbuilders. Um, he took it back to say that, hey, bearing is kind of a sense of where you are. Right. It's a sense of it's a sense of direction and location. So the recommendation uh, going on that I would give if you whatever situation in, whether it's your dress, your attire, how to approach or how to deal with someone, always take it, have that sense of bearing. Where am I? What is the mission that I what is what am I really trying to convey? And if I'm not is is anything that I'm doing conveying something different than my intent? And if it is, then I then it's 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 a distraction and needs to get out of the way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, we'll, um, so our, the next question, and I'm going to, um, Dr. Christian, I'll go with you first on it, but I really want to open it up to the entire panel. Um, says, um, how have you helped leaders uh, with traditional views of who, who belongs in the room navigate to change to be more inclusive and to get others invited into the room? So thanks, um, Dr. Newton. Um, in my current position, I have the privilege and opportunity to to work for I work for the CFO of the company um, of our division and sometimes you know we can we cannot see people for who they really are and because he has been in the room so long right that he does he he didn't have a perspective that the room wasn't diverse. Y'all follow me? Mm -hmm. So the relationship that we had, the reason why he brought me over in the first place was so that I could speak to some of the things that maybe others could not with him. And, and, and it took me six, seven months to understand this. But I can say to him, hold up, take a look at the room you don't have enough diversity in here. Why isn't such and such in here? Why isn't this person in here? Why aren't they speaking to the charts? Why is someone else speaking to the charts and someone else put them together? So, so but, but I had to get to that point. You don't get there overnight because you have to gain credibility and you have to gain trust with people in order for them to know that what you're telling them is they're, they're taking it. Because see, sometimes we can give things on a trash can lid and we can give them on a platter. And I want people to receive what I'm saying on a platter. So this individual, we have that kind of relationship where I had to say, hold up. You know, shut the door and say, hold up. And he's looking at me like, what did I do wrong now? I'm not your mother. I'm just trying to tell you so we can move forward. We talk about diversity and inclusion, but let's, let's bring it to the table. Because when you bring it to the table, that's when the best ideas are birthed. 
Those are one of the best things that as shipbuilders, we come up with the best decisions when we have a diverse group of people in the room. So, so those are the things that we have to remember. When you get to this point, you have to remember that you take a look around the room and understand that there, need to be, there needs to be some more diversity. And women, we do not have to be the only female in the room. We gotta learn to support one another and lift each other up. We talk about, you know, you heard Lauren talk about the fact that she's been in the room and she realized she's the only female. Well, we gotta, we gotta talk each other up and say, hey, I, saw, I heard about this meeting. You know, go ask your boss if you, if you, if you can get on this meeting notice. Because at the end of the day, the more of us that's in the room, diversity, the better off we're going to get some solutions, the better performance we're going to have, and, and the better our company is going to be at the end of the day. Lauren, I'll turn it to you. Do you have, do you have any um, thoughts on that question? What Sandia said on, um, on the reason for diversity, I'll just hammer home once more it's because of the varying perspectives. And so when we think about diversity, it could be age diversity, mm -hmm. highly experienced, less experienced. It could be skin color, it could be socioeconomic status and background. It could be military, non-military, male, female, non-binary. Diversity means so many things to all of us and um, I'm super proud to be part of this company and corporation that truly, truly values diversity. Awesome. So, Randy and Stephanie, if you have anything. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Newton, again. Um, we talked about it. I think some of you, I saw some of you in the previous session, and we talked a little bit about building relationships. We talked about building networks. and. If you haven't learned, you will learn just how critical that is to career success mm -hmm. because that can get you in the room. You don't know it. It could be a customer relationship. It could be an outside relationship with someone that even, doesn't even work in your corporation. I got invited to the room by someone mentioning my name because I knew him personally to an admiral up in D.C., and I got invited to a closed meeting because he said, I know a guy that knows about that. Mm -hmm. He knows that subject matter. He lives near me. He can talk about that a little bit. And this gentleman was the EA for the former four-star that that admiral worked for. So I say that to say you never know the extent of the relationships and how far they can go mm -hmm. and how far they can take you. Remember that building those relationships, it can be subtle, it can be direct. You don't have to be overzealous. You don't have to tackle somebody in the hallway and, and get their attention. But you can build those relationships by simply speaking to someone. Hey, Dr. Christian, how you doing? It's good to see you. I'm glad, that, glad you made it in today. Do that a few days. Dr. Christian will say, he's such a nice guy. I wonder what he does. <laughs> she may find out what I do. 
And she may say, she knows exactly what I do, because <laughs> she knows what we all do, because that's her role, but at, at Ingalls at least. But she may say, I want to find out what he does. Such a nice guy. I want to talk to him a little more. And then she may mention to our CFO, maybe Randy knows something about that. And the CFO may mention to our president, which I know very well, by the way, uh, Carrie, maybe we can get Randy in here to talk about that. Maybe we can get Sandia in here and bring, and when I'm, Randy's in there, I'm going to say, you know, I know Dorian, Dr. Dorian Newton. He knows more about that than I do. That's how it starts. Mm -hmm. And you got to keep that network going. And that's where the diversity inevitably and inherently injects itself. And that's how you build your name brand, mm. by putting yourself out there in a positive way, putting yourself out there and being known, seen, and understood and recognized. Thank you. I tell you, there's um, a syndrome called the Queen Bee Syndrome. <laughs> and to Sandia's point, women, we don't have to act like queen bees, and as soon as another queen is born, we gotta get her out the hive, because, you know, this, this is my hive. There is room at the table for everybody, and we need to support each other, and when you see, whether it's a, a woman or a man, if you're in a leadership position, and you see that someone has something to say, but they can't get in there. It's like double dutch. It's like I'm waiting for that other person to stop talking, and, and you know, and you're like, okay. When when, when I can, I, when you see them trying to get in there, you need to say, well, look, I see Sheila over there. I, it looks like she has a point. So I'll make an opening from them, and you know, it's a magic science. I, somebody should do a study. But have you noticed how some people at the table? have this magic act of when the other person is ending, they just slide right on in. You know, and, and, and you know, yes, we belong at the table. And then the other thing, going back to some of the things that we said, have you ever said something 30 minutes ago and then Bill says it? Oh, wow. And, and you're like, Bill stole my idea. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, it took me a long time to learn this. Bill didn't steal your idea, and no one mentioned Bill stealing your idea, because guess what? They didn't hear you. They weren't listening to you. They didn't think you belonged at the table. So all they were doing was waiting for your lips to stop moving. They never heard what you said. So when you see that happening, and you are in a position of leadership, don't let them leave that person's idea and go on to the next. Say, well, wait a minute, I want to explore what Stephanie was talking about a little bit more. Then, and you might have to repeat it, because like I said, they weren't listening. They didn't steal your idea. So help each other. Now I'm looking at the time, and I think we have uh, about 15 minutes left, if I'm looking at so roughly. So I want to open the floor to anyone who has questions for our panel. So my question is, um, you know, you talk a lot about your authentic self, um, and I like how Lauren you address about being confident knowing that you're at the table. So if you had to go back 
in time and talk to your younger self, what would be one thing you committed to getting good at? So I'm going to say it this way for me. Uh, if I had to go back in time, I would not exercise what comes up comes out. Mm. And the reason I say that, because everybody's not ready for what comes up comes out. Because every, some, sometimes we have to put so many filters on what we say. And in my younger career, my younger part of my career, I was working, you know, I've always worked in a male-dominated career. I don't know why. I worked for UPS. I retired from there. Then I went into coaching. And, we, you know, all men around me. And now I'm working in shipbuilding, all men around me, except for Stephanie and Lauren. But I say this to say that in this, in this everybody's not ready for your your true self when it comes to what you're thinking. And so you have to learn very early in your career that you have to put a filter on some things. And if I had to go back, that's what I would tell myself is just, you know, think about that, recycle that a little bit longer before you let it out. And does that make sense to you? Because that's a great question. And I, I probably... I probably would be a CEO of some company if I had not, if I had just, if I could go back in time and redo that. Thank you. That's really good. If y'all didn't hear him, he said, taste the words before you spit them out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You say something to someone, make sure you digest it. How would I feel if someone would say it? How might someone perceive this? Is it being, is it coming from the best? I use the right time to talk to the Understand that just because, like you said, I have something to say, it may not need to be said right now. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It may come off a certain way that I'm ready to receive it. Awesome. Just a takeaway. It's, it's an old saying. Uh, it's simple. People may not remember what you look like. People may not remember what you said. People may not, may not understand what you said, but they will always remember how you made them feel. Always. Of those three and many others, they will always remember how you made them feel. So when you present yourself that first time in the previous session, always try to present yourself in the proper way taste your words before you spit them out because they will remember that first experience. They may push it aside but they're going to play it that other person in their head Manny, he, he hurt my feelings that first time. I remember that. I got to watch him. But always remember people will remember you by how you make them feel. Good afternoon. Thank you for the privilege of your time and sharing your experiences and pouring so much into us. Thank you. Appreciate it. My name is Jukwemi Kezikoka. I work for Rethion Technologies. I have two questions. Number one, was there a time you were in the room and felt like your voice was not heard? Number two, this is a spin-off from what Eric, Eric Thomas said. He said, um, you have to take advantage of an opportunity of a lifetime in the lifetime of the opportunity. So 
my second question goes, was there a time you were opportunity to use your voice in the room and did not do it? Wow, there was a time that we were getting ready to make a critical decision and I was trying to articulate why not doing something at a certain point would be disastrous. We um, have a group that groups work together and before we would issue the work to the shop, we would make sure all the material was available for them to pull from the warehouse. And we were getting ready to implement a new process and they said, no, we're gonna have these people push the button, send the work onto the shop and you don't understand Stephanie, the material will be there. I just could not get them to understand that. And, you know, I just kept at it. You know, the, the decision was made to go ahead and push the button because the head of IT at the time said she's a dinosaur. She doesn't understand that all of this is going to fall in place perfectly. They didn't listen to me, went ahead with the process, and it didn't take long for the people down there at the deck plate to start complaining. And then someone said, you know, maybe <laughs> we should do it this other way, which was the original way. Um, I did not run around saying I told you so. Um, what I told people was, there's some times in your life that leadership is gonna make a decision. You can give them all the facts and the data about why turning left is the absolute wrong way to do it. But if they decide to turn right, my attitude is, did I explain myself well? Did you understand and hear me? And if you understood and heard me, and you still want to turn right, I'm going to help you make the best right turn possible. I, I actually have an antidote kind of, that kind of goes to your question as well um, in a different way. So one of them, um, whenever I do an interview, I always talk about my biggest failure in my mind. And that failure was um, one of the things I did when I came out of the Navy, I went into the um, shipyard, I was leading teams which started up reactor plants, did different things. And I happened to be on a ship getting ready to do just that, um, with, uh, which was my previous ship. I used to be on the George Washington. It was my ship. Everyone, I had been there probably three or four years prior before I moved into this new position. They knew me. They had a lot of good um, respect in me. And um, I'd been there with them, standing watch for a while. But what I realized is I thought that was all great, but I'd created an atmosphere within my team where um, they weren't their voices they didn't necessarily speak up when they should have or when they could have because they, they were looking at me to think that I, that I knew it all or whatever like that. So I've always, um, and then we ended up getting in a very serious um, issue because there were folks on the team who saw it, but they chose not to say anything because they didn't, because they, 
I guess they suffered from feeling is the inadequacies uh, in and of themselves. So, so I think as leaders, we also have to have in our mindset to, am I creating an atmosphere where folk, the folks around me feel comfortable in sharing their voice? And am I receptive to that voice when they do share it? That makes sense. I think your first question as well was um, where your voice wasn't heard. Mm -hmm. And a few months back, we were, I'm a, I lead our leadership development council for the business side and team of leaders, 15 leaders are sitting in the room and we're deciding, you know, where we're going to rotate individuals because of their developmental uh, goals and where we, we see them going, right? And there was two individuals that we had on, on the wall, on the screen, and I said, you know, I don't think this is the right decision. And I said earlier, I just said, I own the Leadership Development Council. I, I run that. And so my voice and my opinion was, that's not a good move for them. So a month ago, it came to light that these individuals, those two, same two individuals, were not ready for those opportunities because we rotated them into the wrong spot. And see, this is me just being me. So I went and I said, hey, I told you so. <laughs> see, I'm different from Stephanie. I, I just said, look, I, and, I, and, and, and keep in mind that I did it in, in person, right, one-on-one -on -one with, with, with who I needed to. And I said, we did not do them any justice by placing them in these positions. So now what we're doing is damage control and trying to reel that back and get them the help that they need to make, to, to make them successful. So that's one of those times, that recent times, that I just, you know, I, I knew that my voice wasn't being heard because I'm steady and I'm, and I'm pretty vocal. I'm pretty, anybody that knows me in this room, I'm not talking, y'all don't hear me. Can y'all hear me? No, I'm, I'm speaking. This is not a good idea. So when, if you ever felt that way, just understand that you will get your opportunity if you ch so choose to say, I told you so. <laughs> or you can take the Stephanie way and say, but I'm going to support you anyway. <laughs> Thank you. Do we have, um, I think we have time for maybe one more question. Thank you guys again for being here. My name is Sam Young with the Boeing Company. Just taking into account everything we've just talked about, about having that seat at the table and um, knowing when to speak, when not to speak. Do you have advice on how to mentor the other people that we're trying to bring along with us? How to, how to gauge that? Because I know for myself, sitting at that table, it's um, you, you need to say something but is it the right time? How do you, you get that across to other people that you're trying to bring up? So yeah, do you need advice on that? I'll start with a preface of, you need to know the emotional intelligence of the person you're mentoring. And I'll just give you a scenario. Say there is a perception about this person that key decision makers have. 
and you share that with them and tell them who said it. Some people don't have the emotional intelligence to hear that. Well, I was with Bob and he said that you said that I, and that is not why you shared that with that person. You shared with them what the perception was so that they wouldn't later feed into that perception. Don't do things that have people say, I told you Bob wasn't ready. So know who your audience is. Um, also know what their personality is. Do you need to take the mothering pump them up, tell them what they're doing good, you know, then slide in the information and then make them feel better? Or are they the type of people that are, you know what, you've got to be frank with them. I'm just gonna tell you, this is what you did. This is what the reaction you got in the room. Are you trying to derail your career? But I have to look at the different personalities that I'm mentoring and I suit it to their personality because I want them to feel fortified when they leave me. I, there are numerous occasions I have people come into my room and I had one woman come in and she just unloaded. And after she unloaded, she said, Stephanie, I just feel so much better after talking to you. And she left and I had not said a word. <laughs> I just feel so much better after talking to you. Like, okay. I had another person that came in, and I will tell you the things he shared with me made me want to cry. I didn't. But what I said to him after I finished, he said, you always make me feel better after talking to you. So it depends on the person. And then you suit the feedback to what their emotional intelligence or their personality style will take and embrace. We're time, so thank, you. thank our presenters. <laughs>